Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. You know, one of uh, my most favorite books that I've never read is this really thick book I have on mythology. And what I really like about it is all the stories, all the cultures, all the many, many faces of humanity. Some of them seem really uh, crude and, uh, you know, like uh, sun worshiping or sacrificial uh, gifts to the gods so the crops will come around, come, you know, during the farming season. And uh, it seems like every single, including this one, every single society thinks they're modern. They do. They do. And so often in our uh, in our dialogue in social media and whatnot, we're looking for authorities, authorities. And these authorities, these people who uh, are supposed to know, I have to think that we we click off a hundred, five hundred thousand years. And we're the rookies. We're the green beans. We we don't know. We really don't know what we're doing. Um, but we like to think we do. Now I don't want to have a blanket statement like we don't know what we're doing. I mean, we've made it this far. We're doing something right. But uh, I'm excited for tonight's show. The topic tonight is uniting ancient wisdom, and modern science. And our guest tonight is Holly Copeland. We're going to bring her on in just a minute. But, you know, I I saw working in TV, I actually watched some of it. And, like, in the 80s, there was a, a documentary team that went to the back jungles, if you will, to explore what other cultures were doing for medicine. And they pretty much lived there for a while, and they, and they were following this one medicine man. And uh, they would interview the patients that were coming to see him. And I don't remember what the disease was, but one of the one of the people that came to the medicine man had a mental disorder, and I apologize for not remembering what exactly it was, but the crew said, well, Western medicine can't do anything about this. Western medicine, if you've got this, you're jacked. We're going to put you in an asylum and send you postcards once in a while. And the shaman took these really big leaves and folded them in half, and made a crown on this on this person's head and wrapped twine around it and and then he made a cocktail of like extracts from plants and whatnot and it was like a thick soup and he poured it in the crown and and pretty much soaked the guy's head in it like three or four times and it and it cured him it he was the the problem went away and we just don't have 
a mindset that that welcomes that into a mainstream conversation because we can't point to you know a chemical or I mean the the Western mind wants to see every damn thing and uh, I think I think what we're gonna find out is ancient wisdom might have uh, might have a vantage point that our modern science could learn from. And that's why I'm really excited about tonight's show. Again, the, the topic tonight is uniting ancient wisdom and modern science, and our guest is Holly Copeland. Holly is a former conservation scientist turned certified human potential coach and neuromeditation teacher, sound healer, and Reiki master. She's a practitioner and teacher of non-dual awareness and subtle energy meditation. I love that subtle energy. See how I said that subtly? Subtle energy meditation techniques and uses neurotechnology. Reiki and tuning forks in transformative quantum healing experience in her coaching work. As a scientist and biohacker who unites ancient wisdom with modern science, Holly now harnesses modern technology and neuroscience to empower others on their path to human flourishing and upgrading from ordinary mind to luminous awareness. She guides people out of the muddy waters of the thinking mind to live and flow joyfully and effortlessly from their own inner compass, their own stable ground of being. You can learn more at heartmindalchemy.com. Please join me in welcoming Holly to the show. Holly, it's so nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Les. I'm so excited to be here. And uh, for the record, I don't know anything. Well, well, I reserve the right to be wrong. So, hell, I don't see a problem here. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I just really appreciate your introduction and what you were saying about just how little we know. And... um, I, you know, it's uh, it's something that I feel every moment when I, you know, I, I often feel very much that way. Like, heck, we don't know anything. <laughs> and in fact, I think ancient ancient uh, traditions, like you were speaking about, you know, in the jungles of the Amazon, they actually, in many ways, are far ahead of us. This Western science hasn't caught quite up yet. Nice. I like to say. Uh... My unknowing mind knows much more than my knowing mind. In mm. in other words, yeah. there's there's so much more I don't know, and in that realm, I'm much smarter than my knowing mind. A hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> that is a very wise statement. Yes, completely. Well, agree. you threw some words out in your bio. And I'm. I just want to get your take on it. Um, flourishing and upgrading from ordinary mind to the term luminous 
awareness. What does that mean to you? What, I love that you went there uh, first. What that means to me is that my, I'm going to speak from my experience. My experience for most of my life was that when I look out from my eyes and I view the world, I sort of habitually analyzed and placed everything in a kind of good, bad, labeling, analytical. I was trained to do that as a scientist. So my whole life was kind of looking at the world from um, kind of a problem-oriented mindset of what problem to solve next. Um, and I'm right. pretty successful at it <laughs> um, as a successful scientist and good at that. And I was trained to do that. In fact, I think we train our children to do that. That's how we kind of teach our kids is to solve problems in the world. And I thought that was a really helpful and good way to problem is it's, it um, isn't a very happy way to be. <laughs> and there's a, and there's a serious upgrade available if you're open to it. Um, which is the basis of really all the major wisdom traditions that what they were pointing at is that we can relax back out of that um, subject object place where there's sort of, it feels like there's a me in here looking out at a world out there with problems to solve constantly thinking. It's a thinking based, I kind of like to say it's a thinking based way of knowing the world that everything, I actually, I actually think that Descartes, I think therefore I am is, probably the greatest misstatement that has ever been said. Ever. Right. Well, and, it's it's an ego talking, so maybe it's accurate. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, for the ego may think it's accurate, but but it's not it's not actually true, right? We can be there's a there's a way of of a being-centered way of knowing the world where we sink back out of the thinking-based mind into this luminous awareness. The I that, you know, I am and that you are that transcends our thinking mind. And we can learn to operate from there. And it's a much, it's where, that's where true happiness is, you know. I had a span in my life. I um, The cosmic two-by-four cracked me open like 25-plus years ago. And during, the, during those years, I would challenge everything that came into my awareness and, and um, trust, with a capital T, trust, um, I was beating me up at the time, and I had to learn how to, pardon the pun, trust it. And so Mm -hmm. what I would do is whenever I would get a sensation that I was in danger, I would would ask my inner knowingness, am I safe? The the only sentence I'd ever say is, am I safe? And if I got a yes – I would not look to see what was happening because I trusted. And it beat me up really bad because my ego wanted to quantify everything. And 
it took a long time for me to actually trust my ability to trust, so to speak. And uh, I, I think that's what you're hinting at as far as this bigger sense of self. Because also in your earlier in your bio, you mentioned non-dual awareness. And one of my favorite topics, subtle energy. Mm-hmm. How does, how does uh, non-dual awareness relate to subtle energy? Mm. So non-dual awareness is the, the knowingness that we're all fundamentally interconnected and whole that the universe is fundamentally whole. It's not fragmented. And that's another, the construct of the mind in this thinking-based way of knowing the world, the the ordinary mind, so to speak, that I was trapped in for a long time. And I think most people view as just, that's just being. They just call that life. That's how you are. That ordinary mind is fragmented and thinks there's a separate me in here and thinks that the world is made up of so-called matter and that we're all separate beings in a separate body and somehow miraculously consciousness just manifested one day in the brain, right? And (laughs) this is countering, this is like countering all of that and saying actually consciousness is, there's one consciousness that's whole and interconnected out of which arises the stuff we call matter. So wholeness is the underlying fabric of the universe, not separate particles. So that recognition, right, that recognition of wholeness is the non-dual awareness recognition of one thing. There's just one awareness, right? Because one thing that's really interesting about awareness is that we know, like, my awareness is the same awareness as your awareness is the same awareness as any person that was sitting here right like if I love this Rupert I I get this from Rupert Spira he's one of my favorite non-dual teachers and he says look if the Buddha and Hitler were sitting in front of me would they have the same awareness well it depends on which part of them you're talking to I guess or ego or their Oversoul. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not talking to the ego. I'm talking to that which knows what's here. Just transparent, open awareness. That which knows what is. Huh. Well, I assume you're asking me, so I'm going to just throw myself under the bus and say, uh, awareness is the ability to discern. And and Hitler could discern a sense of presence as well as the Buddha could. Yeah. Yeah. Or awareness is that which knows. Is that another way that I would say this is awareness is the knowing of being. It's that and the knowing of being is doesn't have a quality. It just is the knowing of being. Right. So, yeah. It, before before we qualify it with anything, right? Because that's objects. Those are objects. Like I am it sure sad. Is. It's before the sadness or the anger or the happiness is laid on top. It's just the I before all of that. Nice. And that I is the same 
between you and it's the shared being in all of us, the one shared being. And there's just one. And so, so that non-dual awareness is, because you, you asked me the question, how does non-dual awareness relate to subtle energy? The non-dual awareness is the I am, it's the single consciousness, of the whole united fabric of the universe. And my understanding is, in the way that, that it appears to me, is that in that arises, that's the, that's the fabric, or maybe you could even call it the ether, and in that arises the energetic the light, what we call light, which is frequency or sound or vibration, which is subtle energy. And everything is fundamentally just vibration, right? Everything is vibration. And so um, it's, the, it's what arises in consciousness and out of which matter forms. Nice. Nice. Well, so subtle energy. So, um, so Jesus is standing there and everybody's flipping hungry and they're getting hot and their internet's down and they're getting cranky and he decides he's going to manifest food out of thin air. And he doesn't go and get a generator and transport to Star Trek times and bring a replicator back and assemble some apparatus to create matter out of thin air. It's, it's by his intention and will. And for me, the, the subtle energy element kind of just, um, seems real prominent in a situation where um, a sage or a mystic or an alchemist can, without effort, without consuming lots of energy, in the moment, poof, that's really subtle energy, I suggest, but with an immense amount of power behind it. That's, that's my guess, if that makes sense. It does make sense that that's my, yes, so in that case, I mean, Jesus said, you know, was incredible city, had those city powers of the ability to, you know, with such powerful intention to um, craft subtle energy in such a way that he could, you know, do the, the most amazing thing, which is to turn energy into solid form. But since everything is energy, it's, everything is possible. So, yes, he was, uh, well, he was showing the mastery of subtle energy in that moment. Because mm-hmm. you're talking about um, tuning forks in transformative quantum healing. And to me, that's like a subtle energy thing in, in the quantum. I mean, that's just, that's hardcore stuff. To try to <laughs> truly comprehend, I mean that'll that'll just bitch slap you all day long until you get it right. But um, to to because 
to use Reiki and tuning forks, and we can talk about neurotechnology later, but subtle energy meditation techniques, Reiki and tuning forks, and transformative quantum healing. How, how does your intention fold into that? Because all those things can exist by them. Well, Reiki is, is a function of your persona, but tuning forks, how does your intention interact with those elements to have a transformative quantum healing experience? Yeah, I love that question. Um, well, I forgot to warn you. Um, sometimes when my <laughs> meds kick in, I go off into left field. So, <laughs> No, that's such a great question. And I'm going to preface that question by giving you one of my favorite quotes because this I want to preface when we our discussion about sound healing and tuning forks with um, everybody loves and respects Albert Einstein, right? And he said, future medicine will be the medicine of frequencies. So he is like way ahead of us in predicting that we would actually use frequencies as our true medicine. And so this is what, you know, the work that I'm doing now and intention to answer your question directly, intention is everything. So I'm taught in this work, I, in this work with tuning forks, let me just, just so that the, the listeners understand. So um, in this work, I'm working in the biofield or the auric field. So that's the energetic field around everybody's body. We all have an energetic field. It extends about six feet out of the body. And this energetic field, the body is constantly taking information from the field to um, to create the manifestation of the body. So if there's dis-ease or discomfort in the body, it's taking that, it's not just coming out of nowhere, it's taking it from as an information blueprint from the field. And so every experience we've ever had is stored informationally in the field. And when we have a trauma, and uh, that trauma, if we haven't processed it, if we haven't purified or cleared it, is, is, exists as a vibration in your auric field, in your biofield. And so what the tuning forks do is I comb through the field and I search for the dissonance in the field. And the tuning fork communicates with the body and the body, which is intelligent and which wants to heal and naturally is always working towards healing, listens to the tuning fork in its perfect vibration. And the body starts to release uh, that stored energy of the trauma and starts to clear. And that's the healing process. And um, when, when I'm bringing the fork through the field, I am listening to, I could be listening to the liver, I could be listening to the heart chakra, I can be listening to whatever, wherever I'm positioned along the body, but I'm using the power of intention. And I'll give you an example, like one of the treatments I do is to work on the adrenal field. I don't, like, all I do is use the power of intention to say, I am working on the adrenal field right now, and the adrenals start communicating with the fork and me. Um, 
So your intent, your intention, then I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're you're focusing through the intent of the adrenal glands or whatever you said. Your intention is is selectively tuning uh, which element or elements in the body that um, you're going to interact with with the tuning fork at that time. Is that right? That's exactly right. And I kind of, to be honest, I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't experienced it. Like it feels to me, um, you know, like hard to believe, except that that's what I do every day now is work with people in that capacity. And so it's my own experience. And by the way, I'm working, most of my clients are around the world. So I'm not even working with their body. I'm working with a hologram of their body. And how do I do the hologram? I put, I, I lay out, I have a massage table, and I lay out markers for their body, and I just um, intend that their body is there and their body is there. And then the person nice. I'm talking to is on the, and they're, they're just on the phone, and I report what I feel, and they, you know, and I will often feel what my clients are feeling. So, you know, let's say we were working on the adrenals, and I might say, oh, I'm feeling, you know, some releasing of you know of energy in my shoulder and often then they will be experiencing the same thing um and it, again i mean i wouldn't it doesn't it feel it's hard for the, the conceptual mind it's like really you can really just with the power of your intention i wouldn't believe it if it wasn't my day-to-day experience doing this work that's how that's how powerful intention is I I have a a drum, just a simple drum, and um, when I hold workshops, um, I'll get everybody to lay down and close their eyes, and and uh, <clears throat> I can I can warm up a little on the drum, but man, the instant I intend for the drumming to to have a healing effect the surface of the drum takes on an energy that's a mirror of the group and it's like a uh it's like a a viscosity uh, a density that shows up that wasn't there at the moment before and then i can smack the crap out of the drum and it shatters and releases this the karmic stigma, so to speak. So I, I totally go what you're saying. So let me ask you right. this, over time or under time, do you, uh, do you see your relationship with that intention um, honing itself, clarifying itself, maybe mutating itself, uh, almost like you're... Uh, um, you're discovering a, a bigger sense of self, so to speak, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I, I, yes, absolutely. I, um, I've i only been doing biofield tuning work for about a year. That's the sound tuning. And I'm absolutely learning, and I feel like getting better, if I can say that getting clearer and with stronger intention, um, able to cut through, you know, 
conceptual mind be even more clear, even more focused, and that's better intention. Um, is that your experience as well with your beautiful story of the drum? Um, yeah, it it uh, it kind of got me out of my head. I mean, um, the, uh, when I observe something like that, that's I don't know what to call it, nonlinear. I mean, it doesn't fit Western science or any of that crap. Um, but I experience it and I acknowledge my experience of it, then I can kind of ignore what my mind thinks and just go like batshit crazy with my intention and know that the effect will follow. And uh, um, I think my soul smiles when I uh, get out of my head and just say, well, let's, you know, crack the knuckles, let's get this done, not in a uh, not in a Western marching sort of way, but in a, um, <laughs> I wasn't expecting to use this word, a viscosity kind of thing with myself. It's almost like I, I get out of my dense physical body and I go into other uh, shit, I didn't. I wasn't expecting this conversation. Way to kick my ass. Good guest. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like another part of me shows up when I when I stop trying to do it with my head. If that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. It reminds me of uh, the spiritual teacher Adi Ashanti says, "Stop thinking that what your mind has to say is so important. <laughs> like we get out of our own way." Yeah, right. You know, I like and, that. And that, that's where the gold is when we actually listen to something much higher than conceptual mind. Well, it's our conceptual mind that makes plans. It's like, okay, I'm going to have a session with a client, and that's conceptual mind, and we'll do it Thursday at 2, and that's conceptual mind. It, But... That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like if there's this whole other um, modality that's not our conceptual mind that that understands the totality of any condition we're trying to resolve. How do we how do we work in that nonlinear realm and still have the Western intention mechanism in place. You know what I mean? Because it's like the client's coming, and I'm going to I'm going to go through the process, and that'll provide a result. But but there's this gigantic us that's also in the room, going, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, how do? Because yeah. um, like Jesus, I don't think his. Uh, the miracles he performed had anything to do with his flipping ego. How do we discover that element within ourselves and bring it to the table, so to speak? It's not from our yeah. mind. It's from surrendering and and being shown from that higher sense of self, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. And, I mean, I, you know, no question the planning mind is useful to know that I have a client at, you know, Thursday at two o'clock or whatever, like it's useful to keep 
you know, so that we can function in the world. But um, I really feel that the what you're speaking to is how do we do this? How do we really touch into like where Jesus was, for example? And to me, that is we fundamentally allow ourselves to drop out of that, you know, like if I ask you right now, like where, do, where are you aware from? What would you answer? Well, since I'm hosting, I have to pay attention to what you say, so my awareness is in the conversation. Yeah. Does it feel like it's kind of out from behind, like behind your eyes somewhere, sort of in the middle of your head? Um, where you're aware from, not what you're aware of, but what you're where you're aware from, like where's the center of your awareness? You know what I mean? Yeah, I would say I'm a big-ass column of consciousness that occupies my whole body. Okay. But, for example, could you be aware, like like right now, and anybody who's listening, notice that you can, you can look out at the world. There's one way of looking out at the world, which is sort of looking out from behind your eyes. And it sort of has a bit of a razor focus. It kind of looks out at the world and there's a bit of, it's a bit of a sharpness to it. But what happens if you actually drop down out of the space behind your eyes and you drop down into your heart? So look at whatever you're looking at as though you were looking out through your heart. What do you notice? Does it change it all, experience? It, it turns into a big ass field. Um, it it uh, how do I language this? Thank you very much. I love uh, wrestling with words um, from my heart. Um, uh, it uh, it feels like a field, like a I want to say toroidal, but the feeling doesn't mm-hmm. have toroidal to it. Um, but it's that kind of an effect, like the field of a magnet. Um, when I move into my heart. My the what I was looking at with my eyes is within a field, and when I was looking at it with my eyes, I was looking at all these objects I've assigned symbols to called language. Beautiful, exactly. So, like right there, what I hear you saying is like when I go into my look out at the world from behind my heart, there's an expansive quality. I'm yes. talking about being the field. It's much more expansive. And if you stay there, it's like what I notice is not only is expansive, I experience the same thing. It's very expansive. But I can all of a sudden sort of touch into more of the subtle things. Start, they sort of lose their definition. The objects blur. Is my, yeah, they blur, exactly. And it's more like um, a feeling-based sort of expansive way of being with objects. And so right there, we notice that actually we're making a choice. We're one way to be in the world is to have this more definitive where all the objects have more boundaries and edges behind the eyes. But there's a choice. There's another way to be in the world, which is to be in that more heart expansive softened way of being in the world. And I would argue, and 
one of the wisest, most, um, and I'm going to use this word, although I'm pause, enlightened people I know, says he lives from his heart. He's always looking out from his heart space. That, that shift is the kind of shift that I, like when I feel into how I imagine Jesus lived or the Buddha lived, it was that heart-based way of knowing the world all the time. They never left that space. Nice. Nice. I like that. And, and it's available to any, all of us, all the time, which is the, the fundamental truth that over and over has been said by all the sages, that enlightenment is always here and always available. It's not something we have to, we, have, we find somewhere out there that we all, we have it all within us. Everything we want, we already are, Rumi said. Yeah. Um, and it's simply a perspective, right? Yeah, and enlightenment's a, a rediscovery of where we once lived. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And and that rediscovery can can be as simple as the the start of that process. It has deeper layers, but I believe it's 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 as, it's as accessible as what I just pointed to, of dropping down to see the world through your heart space and notice the difference. What if you look at your spouse or your children from your heart space rather than from your conceptual, you know, from behind the eyes? See, see what you notice. I challenge everybody listening. Look at your children from your heart space. And just see what you notice. Well, very nice. Well, we've got, uh, uh, I reckon, about 15 minutes left. And uh, in your bio, you talk about um, the the neural tech, technology and neural meditation. Um Give us some framework of how you came into that and what it means to you. Great. I'd love to talk about that. So because I was a scientist for 25 years, I'm a data geek and um, computer, you know, sort of biohacker type of person. I'm really fascinated by this idea and always have been that we can actually be in charge of our own, our own well-being and health. And there's ways to kind of hack that, if you were. And what that means to me is kind of like, kind of like personal shortcuts that we can use to hack our bodies or our minds. And um, when I was on this journey, one of the things I, I was really determined to get out of this prison of the thinking mind, my analytical mind. I just felt like I was stuck there all the time. And so I sort of set out to understand meditation and feeling like that meditation could help. But I had been one of those people who had tried meditation and really failed spectacularly at it. I just couldn't sit for very long. And, and, I, and I also felt like, how am I doing even know if I'm doing this right? And it just felt kind of, I don't know, stupid and pointless. And um, so when I set out to really try to hack meditation, I'm going to use that word, um, 
I stumbled upon some of the key things that really helped me was first understanding brainwaves and brainwave science. And there's this um, uh, researcher, his name's Les Fermi, and he wrote a book called The Open Focused Brain. And he was one of the first people that showed me, talked about this shift in perspective. And he discovered, um, so I'm just going to sort of lay out for those who don't know that there are five basic categories of brain waves. And many people have heard of the delta brain waves, the ones in sleep. Theta, those are very slow. Theta brain waves are a little faster. Those are the brain waves of REM sleep, but also deep meditation. Alpha brain waves, which are a little faster than theta, are the brain waves of kind of clear, calm openness. Beta brain waves are faster still, and those are the thinking brain waves. And then gamma, which are faster still, actually are some of the, they're very fast, but they're also sort of the realm of the superconscious. And one of the things that Les pointed out um, was that people, when we're kind of caught in that analytical thinking mind, we're always in beta brain waves. And to me, the analogy that works here is like we're always in the car with revved up. And so that's the reason we feel burnt out is because we're stuck in kind of a revving engine all the time. So it's exhausting. And there's a way to get out of that by simply shifting, downshifting into alpha. Well, how do you do that? And so you can use meditation to do that. But you can also just kind of um, like if you right now just feel and sense the space between your ears. Everybody just like close your eyes. Feel the space between your ears. And Les found that, um, that that, that feeling the space between your eyes or your ears, when he put an EEG cap on that measures brain waves, uh, that, that that itself downshifted the brain into alpha. And so I got really intrigued by both this basic understanding of, oh, my gosh, okay, so really, I want to be able to shift my brain into alpha and theta. That's the, some of the key things of what meditation get me out of this dreaded thinking mind. And then there, I used a device called the Muse, which is a, a headband that monitors your brain waves. It's a, a wearable device. So it's a consumer device, a couple hundred dollars. You can buy one of these. You can put it on, and you can hear your brain waves while you meditate. And you can actually measure your alpha and your theta while you meditate or while you do anything for that matter. And so I just, my entry point into this was being able to put on a device on my head and watch my own brain downshift into calmer brain waves. And I just found that so empowering and exciting as a scientist, as a person who felt like my brain was a giant black box. Um, and um, so I really ran with that technology and meditated every single day for over a year and monitoring my brain waves with this technology. And then because I'm a computer programmer, I wrote a little program to take all my data and suck it into a computer program R and actually created graphs that showed that I increased substantially my alpha and theta after a year of meditating. So I had the empirical sense that my brain feels way quieter and I'm way calmer than when I started a year ago, but I also created the data, had the data to show it from my own monitoring. 
So that's my little neurohacking experiment that I did on myself um, over the last couple of years. Well, I saw a, a Simpson episode where all the family members could shock any other family member. Could you just tie that biofeedback into like an electric shock to get you out of the realm you want to be in? <laughs> kind of like kick your ass down the road? Or would that... <laughs> I'm sure somebody... I'm sure somebody could, yes. <laughs> I've got experience with high voltage, but... Uh... No, we won't go there right now. And I'm sorry, but when you said uh, hack meditation, I just had this vision of a cat coughing up a hairball, and I apologize for that, too. <laughs> yeah, sorry for that. No, no, no. No, no, no. But I'm... I really like what you're saying because you're laying out the, the different states of the brain and um, I, the Western mind, Western academics, the Western world is so anchored in the symbol engine and they're flipping symbols. I mean, our brains deal with symbols and it's not even the thing itself. It's a flipping symbol. I uh, I think uh, there's so many people on the planet with so many resource, resources like that Muse uh, headband that you used. It's like I see the pressure cooker, especially the last couple of years. Human, the, the heart of humanity is really hungry for a kind of a, a transcendence out of the struggle, a, a quantum jump, so to speak, of... I think it's going to translate to our own our own potential because forever we've been in that Western mind that says force and you know it's it's just I don't think the model serves our our true human potential. So I, I love conversations like this where we go out in the weeds and 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 take um, uh, a really um, close look at things that might have been overlooked for a long time. So I really appreciate this conversation. Oh, well, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. I really do, too. And I, you know, to speak to what you're saying, I mean, people are really suffering, and they are looking for a way out of their, you know, suffering. And the world, you know, feels like the entire world is on fire. And did you, did you is, move away from your microphone? You got quieter. Oh no, I didn't. But I did adjust the, my ear. Is it is that That's sounding better. okay now? That's better. Okay. Thank you. I want to make sure Great. people can so, hear you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the world is on fire, you know. But we, you know, one of the one of the key understandings that I really came to was, you know, this basic. Like, we have to put on our own oxygen mask first in order to help the world. We have to feel okay in here. If we are never going to, if we wait for the world outside to be okay before we're okay in here, it's never going to happen. You have to figure out for yourself how to find and come back to this own place where you're okay, where everything is fine, where there isn't a fire, which is this 
you know, and that place is not in the conceptual mind because the conceptual mind will constantly say that everything is a giant mess. Um, it's back into source. It's back into connecting into the field, whether you call it divine or God or source consciousness or whatever that place of infinite peace within, which we access when we quiet the mind through meditation or chanting or mantra or whatever your practices are to get out of that conceptual mind and come back into the true knowing of who you are and your true, you know, true, true. Well, nice. I like that. Very well said. Well, now who's your ideal client? Um, I work with really anyone who, you know, interested in working with their mind is excited to try meditation maybe has tried meditation before hasn't really been able to make it stick and is looking for somebody a coach a mentor to work with um uh, i also combine in my coaching packages i also offer sound healing so biofield tuning and breath work um, because the power of the breath is just miraculous um, and I let people kind of choose, you know, but which of those they want to work with, a little bit of mix and match packages. But fundamentally, I love to to work with um, people who want to work with the energy medicine and the power of frequency and sound healing and breath um, and and also work with their minds and do deeper investigation into um, non-dual, like how to actually step into their own heart-based way of knowing the world. So how has your own experience changed in your bio that I didn't read? Uh, uh, the part of the bio that I didn't read mentioned uh, you shifted your focus from exterior to interior and rewired your brain for a state of resilience and joy. Tell me about that process. So if you were to go back to the first moment of that journey when when you had no effect, um, in other words, you hadn't started the journey, and then fast forward to now, if I were a good friend of yours, how, how would I describe the differences in, in who you are? Yeah, I mean, so I would say I was a pretty ordinary, you know, from the way most people are in the sense that, you know, I have kids and they have problems and I worry about those pro I would worry about those problems and, you know, just kind of go to my job and, um, be happy when my be happy when my day was over and I could, you know, read a book or watch a show and kind of relax for a little bit and then I'd wake up and do it all again, enjoy my coffee in the morning, but then go to work. Then there was kind of a cycle of going from, you know, some some moments of peace and calm, my cup of coffee in the morning or you know, relaxing at night and then just a lot of just kind of doing the grind of life. Um, that was my old way. And what happened when I fell down, as I say, fell down the rabbit hole of awakening 
and had these awakening experiences <laughs> was that all of a sudden, like, it's just, everything is just what's happening. There isn't a up and down of kind of badness and goodness to life. It's much more even and joyful all the time. You know, I don't view, I don't have a problem orient, orientation to life anymore where, you know, doing the dishes is a problem or sweeping the floor is a problem or anything's a problem. It's just what's happening. Like Krishnamurti said on, when he was asked on his deathbed, what was his most important wisdom? He said, uh, I don't mind what's happening. And a level of that happened to me. I, I had a moment where, I mean, I was doing lots of work and meditation and one of the many awakenings I had, I, I came in from a run and I just stared at, I came in and I took my shoes off and I stared at the floor and there's like dog hair all over the floor. And I just stared at it and I was like, oh my God, it's not a problem. It's just what is. It was like I, in that moment, I had this recognition of freedom of it's the mind that makes the dog hair on the floor a problem. And it doesn't mean we don't sweep up the dog hair. It's fine to sweep up the dog hair. The mind that wants to create that, I will be happy when finishing right. the sentence, the dog hair is clean. That's where the problem lies. And my life fundamentally changed when I understood and I understood that and I now live that. I don't feel that way. It just doesn't. Life doesn't appear to me that way anymore. Nice. I like that. Well, now, I've, I mentioned your website, heartmindalchemy.com. Can you share with our audience your services? Um, do you do in person? Do you do it over the Internet? Um, you, you talk about uh, Reiki, neurotechnology, tuning forks, quantum healing. Qu quantify your services so the audience knows um, what you have to offer and how to contact you. Yeah, thank you. So I <clears throat> offer a coaching package I call Awaken, Heal, Breathe with the combination of awakening work together in meditation, coaching, in breath work, and in sound healing. And those are packages of 10 sessions. Um, and then I offer biofield tuning, so just the sound healing um, in, pack, in packages of three and 10. Um, those aren't on my website yet. I'm actually like revamping all of this in the last week or so. So if people contact me, I will I will be happy to tell you more about it and you can book a, a free 30-minute discovery call with me if you're interested in working with me. Um, so just reach out um, and I can you know, tell you all the pricing information. All that's going to be on my website very soon. I've just been traveling and so I haven't had a chance to put it all up. But those are the main services I offer. And I do if people just want coaching as their package of 10, they can just do coaching. So I let people have some flexibility based on what they feel like will most help them. Um, also, I, I, the other thing I want to mention is um, there are links on my website to my Insight Timer channel. So if 
you um, are a fan of Insight Timer or maybe you don't know about Insight Timer, it's an amazing free meditation app. And I have uh, 15 or 20 um, meditations that you can access for free on the Insight Timer channel. And I give um, live meditations that I host there. I try to do them weekly on Fridays. Sometimes that time adjusts a little bit. Um, but you can also come and I do sound healing uh, and meditation, guided meditations for about an hour once a week on Insight Timer as well. And those are free and just donations accepted. So, Very nice. Offerings. Yeah. So an hour can fly by pretty quick. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Oh, I can't believe it's been an hour. It's been such a joy to be here. Um, and I appreciate everybody who has been listening. And I think my closing thoughts are that you are not a prisoner of your mind and that how you are in your mind is everything. And so to know that if you feel like you've got a lot of crazy <clears throat> thoughts running around in your head and and your life is kind of a, you know, going from one thing to another. And um, to know that there are other ways, that there is a way out of that. And that um, through practices like I've discussed, um, and I really love the ancient, some of the ancient practices, um, like I draw from Tibet and India into some of the modern teachers that I've learned from and work with that you can absolutely um, shift your way of being into what I call fundamental well-being, to a place of effortless joy and ease with life. And just know that that's possible, one of the easiest things to do once you get on the path and you start living this way. Well, very that's nice. That's how we create well, a better world. <laughs> that's one, how we create a world that we all want to be in. Yes, Very nice. exactly. One, one persona at a time. Well, Holly, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. Such a delightful episode. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure being here. I really appreciate the invitation to come and talk to you and all your listeners. We've been talking with Holly Copeland, and the topic tonight has been Uniting Ancient Wisdom and Modern Science. It's a curious thing when you start working on yourself, so to speak, when you start paying attention to your habits, your demeanor. Um, I don't think that that journey ever ends. I think we're really just giant, big-ass souls somehow shoehorned into these little flipping bodies, and then we wind up the rubber band and our ego starts running and and unless we stop and look we we just don't know we just don't know who we really are and that's what i really like about uh episodes tonight we stop and we uh we take uh, a, a deeper look uh a more uh, a more focused intention on understanding the mechanisms of what it means to be human. 
Always a pleasure. It's so much fun for me to to bring episodes to you, the listener. And I want to appreciate you, the listener, for sticking with us and uh, enjoying the episode. Such exciting times to be alive, isn't it? (laughs) I'm your host, Les Jensen. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.